Well, good morning, everyone. Sure is great to be here. Thanks, Carlos. So fun to be here as Kevin and Emily and their team are getting ready to be sent. Seeing those pictures and remembering walking side by side here and ministering to a lot of people, it's just fabulous what God is up to. And uh, I'm excited for you guys. I texted Kevin this morning. I said, I'm excited to call you my fellow lead pastor. Yeah. (laughs) So cool. Well, uh, as Jared mentioned, it was a couple years ago that uh, you sent us out, and I I have a big update from Cottage Grove. We have a Dutch Brothers. (laughs) Yeah. I saw some people walking in this morning with Dutch Brothers coffee, and I suspected you didn't get that from our Dutch Brothers in Cottage Grove. But uh, some of you are excited about that because you like Dutch Brothers Coffee. I don't really like Dutch Brothers Coffee, but it was new and bright and shiny, so I figured I better go, you know, check this thing out. So Donnie and I, my wife, uh, we went through the drive-through, and you might be familiar with the uh, the strategy philosophy of Dutch Brothers. They hire young, attractive people to, uh, you know, take your order and make your coffee, and and so this is what I was expecting. And sure enough, I get to the uh, drive-up window, and there's a, a young, good-looking, hip guy, and they got music going. He's kind of bouncing like this. He's like, hey, guys, how's it going? And I was like, dude, you are not from around here. And I had this realization, I'm becoming a part of Cottage Grove. And most of me was really excited about that, <laughs> yeah. Then I had this other realization. When I came two years ago to Cottage Grove, that was me. <laughs> Standing up in front of this poor congregation. Hey, guys, I'm Isaac. I'm peppy and fun and have energy. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> and they must have been like, dude, that is not how we do things. But you sent me to do that. (laughs) Two years ago, Donnie and I stood up here with our kids, and you guys prayed, and you sent us to do something that has been awesome, something that we would have never necessarily expected. You sent us to walk in who we are. Your sending faith so good to be sent. Your sending faith propels us to be who God has created us to be. Identity is so important, isn't it? The Bible is full of labels that identify who you are in Jesus Christ. That we are, you and I, as we trust him, regardless of our behavior, are considered sons and daughters of God. Bible says we are adopted into his family, that we get to wear this identity, that we look like this to God, the very righteousness, the perfection of Jesus. That's our identity. Identity is so important. And then identity is about our calling or our present assignment, what God has asked us to do. And your sending faith has kept us walking in who God has called us to be. Identity is important. A couple of weeks ago, I was in a coffee shop. Imagine that. And this old crusty guy was staring at me. 
And this is awkward. You don't know what to do when somebody's staring at you. You know, you can make eye contact with them, stare back, have a little stare bear contest right there. Or you can uh, say, what's up, you know, and kind of break the tension, or you can ignore him, and that's what I did. I just ignored him. <laughs> then he shuffled over to me, and he said, you, you look like Gary Bussy." That is not a compliment. I mean, look at... He's crazy. I've been getting this since high school, by the way. Who's that Gary? I know him as Gary Busey. So I did some research, and I figured, you know, if this is who I look like, I think this is what everybody means. This, there we go. That's what everybody means. That's like a model headshot. He's looking good. That's what he means. So we have a daughter, Ava's two and a half, and I showed her this picture two days ago. I said, Ava, who is this? She goes, I don't know. Oh, that's daddy. <laughs> I didn't show her the crazy shot. To get, I didn't want that affirmation. Our identity is so important, but you know, as much as I may look like Gary Bussey, my DNA says I will always be Isaac Hovitt. And sometimes I don't like my DNA. I don't like what it says. I look at all you short people, I mean average height people. And I think you're all so cute. <laughs> and I've just had to come to accept that hide and seek will never be my game. For 9.50, ready or not, here I come. Oh, there's Gary Busey, he's behind the curtains there. <laughs> you know what I'm at, I'm at my best when I'm being me God has individually created us and he's redeemed us he's given us brand new DNA so we are now the likeness of the son and then he's given us a calling and assignment and we are at our best when we are being us and your faith in sending us has helped us to continue being us us and who we're called to be. There's plenty I didn't know about Cottage Grove when I was sent. I knew it was off I-5. I knew their mascot was the Lions. I knew that there was a McDonald's and a Starbucks in the Safeway. And upon going there, I learned that Cottage Grove is known to be a place of spiritual darkness. We've confronted that and experienced that and know that we are sent to that. Your faith has helped us to remain there. We've learned that Cottage Grove has been known as the child abuse capital of Oregon because of some outrageous and tragic stories that have emerged from that community. We've learned that this is a place of conflict and violence as a part of its heritage. It was a, a mining town in the late 1800s. There are two opposing, feuding families who were vying for the control of the town. And one of the things they would do is each year is they would have gunslingers and they would have a duel face-off. Murder is a part of its history. A very famous murder a number of years ago in the Cottage Grove Hotel took place. It was just absolutely tragic. And 
the woman who has murdered her son goes to our church and still wrestles with the anger and the tragedy that this is what we walked into. Your faith sent us there. Your faith is sending Kevin and Emily to Corvallis, which is known as one of the least churched poor cities within our state. You're sending them into a battle zone. You're sending them to a place that Jesus has so much compassion for. You're participating with your community identity and sending your best away in answer to the prayer that Jesus suggests that we pray in Matthew chapter nine. Matthew, if you're new to the Bible relationship with God, is the story of of Jesus and what he did 2,000 years ago. And it's just astounding as God puts his own son into the world to initiate a new way, culminating in his death and resurrection, thereby making all things become new. And this new era of the kingdom and freedom and hope and life has come. And in the middle of that, we get all sorts of little side stories, and we get summary statements of what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 9. There's a summary statement, and then Jesus makes an observation, and then he suggests that we pray in a certain way. And this is, this church is answering this prayer. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Jesus was on mission to change the world. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus gives an agricultural metaphor here that they would have quickly understood. They would have known what it looks like when the harvest is ripe for the picking. And Jesus said, the the harvest, those who are about to come into the kingdom, God has prepared people and now pray that there would be workers sent to cultivate that. Kevin and Emily are being sent as an answer to that prayer of people in Benton County in Corvallis. People who have experienced the difficulty of life. People who have have maybe had a relationship with God and so desperately want their friends and family. There are gonna be answered prayers because this church is sending Kevin and Emily and their team to be an, an answer. People of hope and joy. And you guys are gonna do so well. Hearing Jesse's story just one of many stories and seeing the fruitfulness that God and his favor and how he's wired you guys to be. It's astounding. The team that you're taking, tremendous. Shasta, I'm so proud of you. Shasta! Woo! (laughs) Focusing on that middle verse, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep is not a very positive metaphor given to us. Sheep is dumb. (laughs) Sheep will do what other sheep, sheep will do what other sheep do, even if it means getting themselves in pickles. They don't do critical thinking very well. 
And then sheep are easily preyed upon by wolves, coyotes, wild animals. And sheep need a shepherd to keep them safe. This is what we've experienced. A couple of stories here about the brokenness that we were sent to. People wandering, helpless, harassed. Last week in our services, we gave time for people to share what God had been doing in their lives and to give thanks for that. And the first person in our first service who came forward was a 15-year-old girl. And I know that this girl is from a family who has not wanted to share the difficult stories of their life because of the shame that they've walked in. We have felt called to create an environment of grace where when we know the worst thing about you, we love you more and not less. And this girl came forward and she turned with the microphone shaking and she said, I want to thank God that even though I tried to take my life a month ago, he kept me living. First of all, as you are, I'm so grateful for God's hand within her life. Secondly, I'm so thankful that she felt that she could be safe to talk about what was real in her life. Because now that she's talking about what is real, there's opportunity for transformation to come along. There's an opportunity now for her not to be chased and separated by the enemy who would love to devour her. She's brought into the fold where there's safety. At Christmas time, we do this really fun thing where we partner with the city in their Christmas tree lighting. And we just try to make the Christmas tree lighting ceremony really big right at the beginning of December. And then we throw this huge Christmas block party and we give away as many Christmas trees as we can get a hold of. And this year we gave away 50 Christmas trees. And it felt generous and it felt nice, like a thing that we should be doing. But as people responded to that love, it was amazing. People that have been devastated, they've been picked on, they have been discouraged and dismayed because of economy, because of their own choices, crying because they thought we didn't know that we were going to get a Christmas tree. And then another woman who was on the Christmas caroling rides with us, she, had a, she was a young mom. She had a three-year-old with her. And, and on the Christmas caroling rides, we had sleigh bells for the kids to, you know, as we jingle bells, jingle bells, you know. <laughs> Some of you are like, Christmas music, no, stop it, stop it now. <laughs> and she, we would ask for them to leave their instruments behind after they were done with their hayride. And she came to me, she says, can I take this one with me? This is his first Christmas without his little sister. Tragedy. This is what we're sent to. Two months ago, I was in a team meeting and one of the older couples on our team were sharing about their granddaughter who had been sexually abused when she was young. And she was expressing her hurt and pain as a early 20-something, like you might imagine, covering and masking her pain with drugs and alcohol, wrecking her life. And they just prayed that she would go through some sort of recovery. And it just felt desperate as we prayed together and as we cried together. Two weeks ago, we're meeting again. They said, oh, by the way, we want to give you an update. She's in recovery. She's totally given her life to Jesus. She feels called to be a youth pastor. She's already making plans to go to Bible college in the fall. 
Isn't that astounding? Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. The guy I call him to myself, Meth Seth. That's what he is. He set two appointments with me and he has to cancel them. And he tells me later he cancels them because he was high. But last time we met, he said, I've been clean for two days. And he was proud of that. I'm anticipating a good end to that story because Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. Jesus is sending workers for this harvest that is ripe for the picking. We had a couple of hurricanes last year, not in Cottage Grove. (laughs) There was Hurricane Isaac. Don't mess. I mean, I just felt so powerful because the news headlines on my iPhone would say, Sometimes it would say, Hurricane Isaac qualified that. Other times it would just say, Isaac wreaks mayhem and destruction. <laughs> kind of felt picked on, but. Hurricane Sandy came through, which, by the way, Sandy is like the sweetest name ever. Don't name a Hurricane Sandy. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. Hurricane Sandy. <laughs> just coming this way, it's spinning around, and... It just it doesn't feel right. <laughs> like Isaac, you know, that's some gusto and punch and amazing good looks. So, <laughs> but Hurricane Sandy came, and one of the guys in our church is a retired firefighter. And in his retirement, he's connected with FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Administration, and he's running a experimental program with them with how to administer relief to these people that are affected by these disasters. And so he spent 61 days straight on a ship in New York offshore. There's no place to house this many workers. Overseeing 12 people oversaw several thousand workers. They worked 12 to 18 hours a day for 61 days and they brought relief to 300,000 people. Pretty incredible. He came back and he told me this. He said, I couldn't believe it. People would go and many people would receive the help. They just simply had to fill out an application form. But many people would reject the help that we were coming and wouldn't fill out the form. And he was confused by that. I bring that up because as Kevin and Emily are going, they are going with the message that has transformed the world and will transform individuals, but they will be rejected at the same time. But being sent and your sending faith will help them to continue on the path that God has laid out for them. And your sending faith, which is about now in these moments and the generosity and the encouragement and the high fives and the reminiscing and the testimony, this is a part of your sending, but I want to make two observations now and then challenge you to continue to send well. The first observation I make is this. In the two years since we've been sent from Evergreen, we don't feel as alone as we should feel. Pastors, if you were to pull them, and they have been pulled, and there's been studies done, oftentimes feel very alone and isolated. The relational dynamics that surround being a pastor and having a family in a community and loving on them and being people's pastors and being friends is very dynamic. And what can happen over time is that the pastor and his family can feel very alone. 
Also, a pastor will have to be dealing with situations to which it might not be appropriate to share with everybody what is happening, and so they can carry things alone. This, uh, this happened to me. It has happened. This is a part of pastoral ministry. But I had, in between two services last year, I had three guys, a World War II vet who then became a history professor and has written books on the history of the Near East. I had a Korean War vet who retired as a Navy chief and a Korean War vet who had retired as a parole officer corner me. This is quite a formidable cornering, isn't it? I had moved some flags, the American flag and the Christian flag, and they were not happy about this. I'm going to tell you the end of the story because I'm going to tell you about their bad behavior. (laughs) It ended wonderfully. Jesus, unity, compassion, understanding, repentance. But on that morning, in between two services, when they cornered me, they threatened me to leave my church and to take people with me. They absolutely disrespected my request to talk about this later. And then I had to go preach. I was angry. I was frustrated, and it would not have been appropriate for me to carry that with my congregation, especially the next service. Well, you never know just what happened to me, them over there, and them over there, and a whole bunch of this like that. Wouldn't have been appropriate, right? So what I did is I called people that I built relationship from Evergreen and processed and vented and, and got perspective. And it was so helpful. I didn't feel as alone as I should have felt at that time or could have felt because I've been sent. I'm a part of you. We're still a part of you. There's still relationship. It is so powerful to be sent. Kevin and Emily and their team, there's going to be moments when they feel alone. <clears throat> I was talking to a pastor in our in Cottage Grove. He's a young pastor. He's a couple years younger than me, and he has a really dynamic assignment that he's been given with an Assembly of God church there. It's a turnaround situation. It's been a lot of difficulty, and he was sharing with me the vision that he has for Jesus to transform Cottage Grove and to transform Lane County and to transform the state of Oregon, and I'm just listening, just thinking, this is awesome. What an amazing vision. He came to the end, and I said, Brian, I believe in you. And he said, nobody's ever told me they believe in me before. I'm so grateful that's not my story because you've believed in us. You've not let us be alone and you're not going to let this couple be alone because the assignment in Corvallis is too important for the kingdom. Being sent is so good. So an expectation and then an effort for you. Expect that pastors will feel alone and isolated and get discouraged. The effort for you is to text, call, mail letters, Facebook, visit, encourage, and remind. And all of these things have happened with us. And we would love for them to continue happening. Yeah. Some of you have texted me along the way. Isaac, I'm thinking about you and praying for you. Isaac, how is it going? Isaac... How is your family? You've continued that relationship. You've continued the sending by doing that. You have called and done the same. Some of you this is, have sent me snail mail. This is awesome. 
Because you guys know what it's like to get the mail these days, right? Junk mail, junk mail, junk mail. Taxes are coming. Junk mail, junk mail, bill, bill. We don't often exchange letters anymore, but I get these cards or these letters and they're like treasures. I have this friend and he said, hey, I want to encourage you consistently by sending you some stories of my life. Would you prefer that I email them to you or send them in the snail mail? I said, send them snail mail because I'll read them. They seem so much more important. Some of you, the Holy Spirit is telling you to start a snail mail ministry. (laughs) Where you're going to do this, you're going to write cards and letters and you're going to affirm, you're going to remind Kevin and Emily, others who are sent, Laurie Dickerson and Abby, of their assignment and of their fruitfulness and that God is with them. Some of you have visited us, and it's so cool when you come visit us. Our services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Cottage Grove is just a few miles down I-5, relatively speaking. Hey, I-5 is like Canada to Mexico. It's just like a, just a short little segment of I-5. You've come and visited, and this is great because, especially when you're getting to know a congregation, you don't know who's friendly yet, who's with you yet, but if you come to visit me, you're obviously friendly, you're probably not there to pick on me. If you are, please stay away, yeah, so. And it's so nice, you're scanning the crowd, you're preaching, and then you see, oh, wow, he's with me. That is so great. Visiting, so cool, do that. Now, Kevin and Emily aren't actually starting until March 1st, so... Don't go until then. (laughs) Could be confusing for the current pastor. I might be encouraging for him too. So, you know, do what God tells you to do, I guess. Yeah. It's so uh, cool. Yeah, the second observation that I uh, I make, being sent from Evergreen, we believe in ourselves because you believe in us. To be on this stage and to be sent, and as has been mentioned, the cultivation of the leadership that we received and that Kevin and Emily received and now being sent is so powerful, it helps us to continue to believe in what our calling is. We do not, as pastors, we are not being sent into a friendly environment. Things are radically shifting as we are becoming a post-Christian nation, as we are becoming a place where the cultural groundswell is anti-faith, anti-Jesus, anti-God. Kevin and Emily are being sent with a message that will not be culturally well-received. This, in addition to a disease that we are all affected by, can make pastoring a very difficult assignment. The disease is called consumerism. We are all being raised in a consumeristic culture where we are always thinking, how does this affect me? And am I getting what I perceive that I need or what I perceive that I want? We treat everything like consumable goods. And it wouldn't be surprise me if someday in the near future that churches and pastors show up in consumer reports. Comparing one against the other. That was a joke. I don't think they'll really do that. <laughs> comparing one against the other. This is why doctors, lawyers, and this is one of the reasons I believe that doctors, lawyers, and pastors have something in common. This sounds like the beginning of a great joke, right? What they have in common is not their paycheck. There's the joke. (laughs) It's this. They are occupations that are most likely to result in suicide. It, It shouldn't surprise you if you think about what the mission of a pastor is. To go confront the darkness of this world, territory that the enemy has stolen, 
who is he going to pick on? He's going to pick on pastors. Create discouragement. And that commiserate with our cultural consumerism where pastors and ministries are treated like consumable products creates a toxic environment for the pastor. Creates a toxic environment. Now, I was raised in a pastor's home, and so I'm familiar with this. I've never been outside of a pastor's home. Now I have a pastor's home. So I don't know what it looks like from the outside. But I assume that that is news to some of you today. So you have awareness now. I was, we had a great Christmas Eve service. Both Christmas Eves we've been there, just been fabulous. And the first one we were there, you know, we're shaking people's hands after just feeling like, man, Jesus is being glorified. People, it's just so great. This guy comes through my line and he, and he shakes my hand and he grabs me close like this. And he goes, I can't trust you. You're too young. And I'm just like, I want to kick you in the shins. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say that. I think I was very gracious and like, oh, yeah. What I wanted to say is later, man, because I was just thinking I'm as old as I've ever been. (laughs) 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 I'm sorry. You know, what do you say? (laughs) See, the enemy would love some gut shots. He would love to discourage, to dismay. He would love to get amazing prize fighters like Kevin and Emily and their team out of the ring. Because he knows that victory is in store for those who continue to have faith and to be like Paul who said, I have fought the good fight. It is no surprise to me that much of the metaphors within the New Testament that describe ministry and the battle that we in are war imagery and battle scenes. Yeah. Because this is a war for people's souls. It also shouldn't surprise us, and I don't try to paint pastors as being victims, because they're not. Jesus died with a very few friends. Paul often talks about the suffering that he endured because of his calling. All of the apostles, save John, were martyred for their faith and their effort. So suffering is a part of the game, but that suffering can be greatly alleviated when you're sent and you're believed in and you're encouraged and you're affirmed by the church that is sending you into this battlefield. Yeah, we believe in ourselves because you have believed in us. So you can expect pastors will get discouraged and your effort can be to affirm them, to pray for them, to believe in them, to applaud them, Thank you cards for what has been done. These are some ideas for you as you go forward because you will continue to send both others into other battlefields and you will continue to send us and Laurie and Kevin and Emily into what we are doing. This is not about us at all. But as Emily has referred to, this is about a greater calling that the world says is foolishness. But we know that it is not. Because it is about the re- the, those who are being afflicted being redeemed and brought home. Those who are in bondage and deep despair, being their chains being broken and then being brought into the kingdom. So that they can start a new legacy. So that generations from now on can be affected because they have a new legacy that is centered in the message of Jesus Christ. 
We believe that Jesus is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and that everyone can come through him to the Father to receive new life and a new inheritance, a new name, and to radically shape and shift Benton County, Washington County, Lane County, and the whole state of Oregon, and the whole world. That's what we are doing here, near, and farm, farm, far. So I invite you to continue to join up in this great mission. There's nothing better than following Jesus. Let me pray for you.